0: If you're using a Pew Bible this morning, uh, we're going to be in Colossians 1. uh, That's on page 924 of the Pew Bible. Uh, If you're not using a Pew Bible, Colossians is after Ephesians. The way I always remember it since Bible college is go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And I still use it when I open my Bible. I'm like... Philippians popcorn, uh, next one, uh, so, so we're in corn today, uh, Col- Col- Colossians chapter 1, we're just going to be looking at verses 1 through 8, uh, Colossians is a tremendously rich book, so there's a lot to see in each passage, um, so let's prepare our hearts for the reading of God's word together. Colossians one verses 1 to 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it does also among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we just ask that you would send your Spirit now and help us to understand your Word, uh, that you would awaken us from our slumber at times, and that you would uh, speak through your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. True godliness is always and only rooted in a true understanding of the Gospel. That's the main point of the whole sermon, so I'll say it again, listen closely. True godliness is always and only the result of a true understanding of the gospel. And the implication of that is both significant and obvious. Christian, do you want to be growing in godliness? Then... What is required? You must have a growing understanding of the gospel. That's my argument this morning. That's what I want to be impressed upon your soul. That's what I want you to remember as you go. And now I need to show you how that is contained in this passage. And first, I simply want to highlight the marks of godliness in verses 3 and 4. The marks of godliness. Paul says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. So as is typical, Paul begins his letter with thanksgiving for the believers in Colossae. And what is he giving thanks for? Two things. Number one, their faith in Christ. Number two, their love for all the saints. And notice that there is a vertical aspect, their faith in Christ, and there's a horizontal aspect, their love for one another. And I think Paul is using these as a very broad catch-all category for the whole of their Christian life the whole of their growth in godliness. And I'd argue that it's essentially similar, the way Paul's using it, to how Jesus would say, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so I think the whole of their relationship with God, is comprehended under the umbrella, as Paul is using it, their faith in Christ. And the whole of their relationship with one another, the horizontal plane, is comprehended under the umbrella, your love for all the saints. And then I'm summarizing both of these under the even bigger umbrella of godliness. Growth in godliness. So broadly speaking, Paul is giving thanks for true godliness in the lives of the believers in Colossae. And notice, highlight, underline, that this is what God would have us to give thanks for, both in our lives and in the lives of others. It is the marks of godliness. And if these are the things that we should look back and give thanks for, then they are also the things that we should look forward and pray for. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't or that it's wrong to pray for good health or career and academic success or whatever other thing it might be. What, but what I am saying is that those things are always secondary, not primary. When we look at the prayers found in Scripture, we find that they center upon inward growth and godliness and the outward expansion of the gospel. So there should be a correspondence between our prayer lives and what we value and care about and what is valued in Scripture. So is it wrong to pray to be healthy? No, it's not. But if the burden of your heart and thus the burden of your prayer life is 90% consumed by being healthy and being delivered from sickness and only 10% by glorifying God in your sickness, then something is wrong. There needs to be a recalibrating of values. And I don't mean to be insensitive to people in this room who today are suffering tremendous pain in their body. I don't want to make light at, at, of it and dismiss it as if it's a small thing, because it's not. But I do want to challenge you in the midst of that, that you can glorify God in your sickness. You cannot glorify God in your sin. And so as Christians, if our greatest and highest goal is to love the Lord our God and to glorify Him with our lives, then our sin should weigh upon us more heavily than our sickness. Young person, which do you value more? Success or sanctification? Or parents, which do you value more? Godly, growth in godliness or good grades? The thing that you most long for is the thing that you will be most inclined to pray for and it is the thing that you will most fervently and earnestly give thanks for when it comes to pass. And here in Colossians 1, we see the thing that got Paul excited, the, Paul that, the thing that stirred Paul's heart with gratitude and thanksgiving was their growth in godliness. He looked and he saw the marks of godliness in the lives of these believers, So do you have not only a once and for all settled faith in Christ as Savior, but are you growing in your faith in Christ? Your love for Him, your trust in Him, your obedience to Him. Do you have more peace now because of a deeper persuasion of the unchanging faithfulness of Christ as a sovereign and good Lord than you did five years ago? Do you have more joy because of a deeper understanding of God's good purposes in your life, even through suffering and affliction? Are we growing in our love for the saints? Are we growing in our love for all the saints or just similar saints? Do we love only our Christian brothers and sisters who are just like us, Same age, same place in life, same likes and dislikes, or do we love all the saints precisely because they are saints? And of course, saints is not some small class of super spiritual people within the church. Every Christian is a saint. Saint simply means holy one, set apart for God. So look around you, Every true Christian in this room is a saint, and they are royalty. They're the object of God's redeeming love, set apart for his own possession. They're God's prized inheritance in all the earth. They're Christ's cherished bride. They're royal heirs of the world to come. And so, if you struggle to love another Christian for who they are in themselves— Then love them for who they are in Christ. Consider afresh how God loves the person that you struggle to get along with. Consider how God sees them justified with the righteousness of Christ. Precious, beloved, welcomed in his sight, destined for glory. They are a marvelous creation of God. And maybe... That person isn't someone who sits across the hall on a Sunday morning. Maybe it's someone who sits across the dinner table every evening at home. Whoever it might be, it doesn't matter. If that person is trusting in Christ, they are a saint, holy and loved by God. They are going to rule and reign with Christ in the age to come. Oh, that God would help us to see each other how God sees us in Christ, and then to love one another because of that. So I think that these are Paul's shorthand for growth in godliness, their faith in Christ, their love for all the saints. And my hope is that at this point in the sermon, you'd be saying, yes, yes, I want to grow in my faith in Christ. I want to grow in my love for other Christians. I want to be more godly. But how do I actually grow in my faith? How do I actually cultivate a deeper, more tangible, more real love for the other people in this room? I mean, that's what it's all about, right? And let me be clear. I'm not asking, what are the five things a faithful Christian should do? I'm not asking, what are three ways that you can love your Christian brother or sister? I'm asking, how do I actually become more godly? How do I actually become more loving? Because there is a difference between doing the loving thing and actually loving that person. It's possible to, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, to give away all that you have and yet not have love. You can deliver up your body to be burned and not have love. A loving action does not imply or necessitate actual love. You can have the outward act without the inward reality. And I trust that if you're hearing this message with a renewed heart and new life in Christ, you're saying, yes, I don't want to just look more godly. I don't want to just do the outward action that makes me appear like a godly person, but I actually want to be more godly. I want to have real love in my heart for other people in this room. And so while it's an important conversation to have, and maybe something you can talk about during home group, about what are the ways in which we practically flesh that out. The issue here is not what do I do, but where does love for the saints actually come from? And so that leads us to verse 5, which brings us to our second point the root of godliness. And this is really the main point of the sermon. So let's just reread verses three to five to get a running start, get the context back under our feet. Uh, He says, We always thank God, verse three, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this hope, or of this, you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. And I'll argue that the most important word in this whole passage is the first word of verse 5. Because. Why do they have a growing faith in Christ? Why do they have a real and vital love for one another? Verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And the rest of verses 5 and 6 is simply clarifying what that hope is and where it comes from. Of this, referring to the hope laid up for them, you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. So you can use whichever metaphor you'd like and whichever one works best for you, but they all communicate the same thing. The gospel is the root that produces the fruit of godliness. The gospel is the engine that turns the wheels of the Christian life. The gospel is the foundation upon which the Christian life of true godliness is Built, And so where does a growing faith in Christ come from? Where does true love for the saints come from? It comes from hearing and understanding the gospel. And you see this fleshed out in verses 5 to 7. He goes on, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it does also among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our fellow servant. One is made a Christian, not when they self-identify as a Christian, not when they join a local church, not when they get baptized, not when they try to clean up their act and stop sinning so much. When is one made a Christian? Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. These pagan polytheists who worshipped a pantheon of false gods were made Christians because the gospel came to them. They heard it and they understood the grace of God in truth. And so I say true godliness is always rooted in a true understanding of the gospel. Why do I put those qualifiers of true godliness and true understanding? Well, I put true there because Paul put true there. He said they understood the grace of God in truth. So apparently there's a kind of understanding of the gospel that's not a true understanding. And young people... I'm addressing primarily you right now. Teenagers, if you've been thinking about homecoming and homework for the last 20 minutes, then please listen. If you grew up in the church, going to VBS and going to Sunday school and going to summer camp, I know that you can quote Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I know that you can quote Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I know that you can quote John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's wonderful. Praise God. But listen, according to research, 70% of high schoolers who go to university as professing Christians leave with virtually no faith at all. 70% of young people abandon their faith in college. How can that happen? Because it's possible to know all the right answers and to quote all the right verses without ever understanding the grace of God in truth. It's not merely that you believe the Bible is God's word or that Jesus is the son of God or that he rose from the dead. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. Listen, do you believe in your heart of hearts that you really aren't better than any of the other kids, high schoolers at your school who are out partying, doing drugs, rebelling against their teachers, rebelling against their parents every weekend? Do you really believe that you are just as deserving of God's judgment and condemnation as they are? Do you really believe in your heart of hearts that you've done absolutely nothing to earn God's favor or to merit his love? Or if you're honest with yourself, do you believe that you're a pretty good person who does pretty well and pretty much deserves to go to heaven? And it doesn't matter how much, how many verses you can quote or how much Bible trivia you know. If that is still how you feel in your heart of hearts, then you've never understood the grace of God in truth. In order to understand the grace of God in truth, it takes more than knowing in your head that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It takes understanding in your heart that you personally and particularly have sinned against God, that you as an individual fall short of the glory of God and that that is a horrible thing, that he created you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love others as yourself and that you've not done that for one moment of your life in truth. You were created to Think about others as more important than yourself, like your brothers and your sisters, and to serve them and to care for their wants and their needs above your own. To give up your rights and your privileges so that you can better love and serve them, regardless of whether or not they do it in return. We were created to spend our whole lives thinking about God and others, and we have spent virtually our whole lives thinking nothing about Nothing except ourselves. Do you see that me, Sam class, my deepest problem is not some particular thing I did one time. My biggest problem is me. It's my heart, the corruption and the sin and the darkness that pervades my heart. And now, parents, I imagine some of you might be thinking, My child needs more self-confidence. They need more self-esteem. Not less. This isn't helping them in their struggle with self-image. But listen carefully. If you understand these things, not merely that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but that you have sinned, that you personally and particularly have rebelled against your Creator, then what kind of love is it that God would send his son for you, personally and particularly. Not just the world, not just a nameless, faceless sea of humanity, but you, with all of your pride, with all of your selfishness, with all of your you that calls out for God's judgment against you. That's the you that Christ came for. That's the you that he willingly and voluntarily delighted in laying himself down for so that he could save you. For while we were weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Ungodliness is not pretty. Ungodliness is not beautiful. It's not desirable. Ungodliness is ugly. And that's all I was. And that's all that I presently am apart from the grace of Christ. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. That's good news. You will never understand the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the beauty of God's grace towards you until you see something of the ugliness of your sin against God. And the more clearly you perceive your very personal sin against God, the more you will stand in awe and wonder at God's very personal love for you. So you want to know where to find self-worth and value and identity in your life? It's not by trying to persuade everyone else that you're super awesome. It comes from seeing something of the ugliness of your sin and then understanding the grace of God in truth. That despite all of your you that he still set his love upon you. He delighted in saving you, calling you to himself, not because of anything in you that commended you to him, that was worthy or desirable, but he loved you because he loved you. And then we can say with Paul in Galatians 2.20, In the life I now live, in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So yes, we need to see the ugliness of our sin, but it's precisely there in the ugly darkness of our own hearts that we're led into the beauty of glorious gospel light. And it's there that we stand in awe and wonder that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And so we come back to the question, where does a deeper and richer faith in Christ come from? Where does a deeper and more tangible love for one another come from? It comes from hearing and understanding this very gospel of grace. It's not only the thing that makes us a Christian on day one, but it's the thing that makes us increasingly more godly on day 10,000 of the Christian life. Notice in verse 6, Paul says that the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood. It's not that the gospel is effective for evangelism and then we move on to something else better and deeper for discipleship. It's a continual hearing and understanding of the gospel that continues to bear fruit in our life and an in increasing faith in Christ and love for others. That's how the church grows numerically outwardly and it's how the church grows in depth inwardly in true godliness. Thus, if Cow Creek is to be a community of godly people, then we must be a community of people who are always hearing and understanding and greater and greater degrees, the gospel, such that we better understand the, the grace of God in truth, the hope laid up for us. And that is what will make us into people who love one another and who trust in Christ. And that is why Jeremy is always pushing good books every week, because growing in godliness comes by a growing understanding of the grace of God in Truth, And sure, you can get the appearance of godliness without the gospel. You can get people who can wear the right clothes and say the right things and go to the right places and avoid the wrong places. You can get all that without the gospel. But true godliness, a heart transformation, a love for Christ and others, that comes through the gospel. And this is why the gospel gets preached every single Sunday. The Colossians had faith in Christ and love for one another that was worth giving thanks for, that was worth Paul expressing his gratitude. Why? Because of the hope laid up for them in the gospel. And that's, that's the sermon. <laughs> I think that's very clear in the text. And now I just want to connect a few dots in case it's not clear and explicit for us. The connection between our growing godliness both vertical and horizontal, and our understanding of the gospel is that when we understand the grace of God and truth, we're enabled to show the grace that we've received towards others. When we see how God loved us despite us not meriting and not deserving his love, then we are then equipped to love others who don't deserve or merit our love. The more you appreciate God's patience towards you, despite your sin against Him, the better equipped you will be to be patient with others who sin against you. And this logic is not novel to Paul. This is exactly what Jesus describes in the parable of the unforgiving servant. Of course, the master forgives his servant this great, unimaginable debt, and then the servant goes. And he refuses to forgive a fellow servant a much smaller debt. And Matthew 18:32 says, Then his master summoned him and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt so also my Heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. So if we understand the grace of God in truth, then we must be willing to show that grace towards others. And notice what Jesus says in verse 35. If you do not forgive your brother from the heart, the issue is not merely an outward bearing of the hatchet but in an inward transformation of our hearts such that it inclines us it gives us the disposition and the willingness to forgive our brothers and where does that heart transformation come from well it comes from appreciating the mercy that we have received the master says i forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant As I had mercy on you. Receiving God's mercy not only enables us, but it requires us to be willing to show mercy towards one another. So we can focus on the past grace that we've received in the gospel, in our forgiveness of sins, our reconciliation to God, or we can focus on the future hope laid up for us because of the gospel as Jeremy called it last week, is living life with an eschatological edge, if you like fancy words. Living life mindful that this life is short and eternity is near. The knowledge of that enables us to lay down our lives in sacrificial love for others. We don't have to get our way. We don't have to be first. We don't have to be acknowledged and recognized and given the credit we think we deserve. It's okay if all of this life doesn't turn out the way that we hoped. Why? Because our hope isn't in this life. Our hope is laid up for us in heaven. And that future hope enables us to love others now without getting anything in return. Without getting the applaud and the praise that we think we deserve or that we would want in our flesh because we know that that is where our hope is that is where our inheritance comes from that is where i'll be recognized by god as my father christ is my lord on that day when he says job well done my good and faithful servant that's the praise that we're longing for And it's very similar in a vertical relationship to Christ. As we consider His grace towards us, the depth of His love... Our faith will be increasingly more deepened because we see he's worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our devotion, he's worthy of our obedience. All of it belongs to him. There's nothing more fitting and more appropriate that we should entrust ourselves to Christ as our all-sufficient savior and obey him as our all-authoritative lord. There is one last piece of the puzzle that I want to highlight before we close. If we are to grow in godliness, if the way that we grow in godliness is by hearing and understanding the gospel, then we must also be a community of people who are telling and teaching the gospel. Look at verse 6 and 7 one last time. He says, The gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit increasing as it does also among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. These Colossians heard the gospel because someone, namely Epaphras, told them. They learned it because someone taught them. So, on one hand, we want to be a people who are always hearing and understanding and learning the gospel. But on the other hand, we also want to be a community that are always telling and teaching the gospel. Now, I just ask you, when is the last time you told someone the gospel with your mouth, told them the good news of what Jesus has done for sinners? How are they to believe in Him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone telling them? You can be that person who tells someone. You can be the instrument by which they learn about the grace of God in truth. And the wonderful thing is that the power is in the gospel, not the one telling it. And this is something that needs to be happening both inside the church that we might grow and outside the church that others might be saved. And this is why the elders not only promote reading good books and listening to good preaching, hearing and understanding, but also going to home group fellowship. So that, yes, you can hear, but you can also tell others. You can mutually encourage one another in the faith. This is why you should take advantage of opportunities to teach the little ones in Sunday school. Because not only are you giving them the opportunity to hear and understand the gospel, but you get the opportunity and the privilege to tell and to teach them about Christ. Not only is it inherently valuable and pleasing to God, but you are cultivating your ability to better tell others, to better teach others about the grace of God in truth. And certainly God does not intend for every member of the body to be a public preacher or teacher or anything like that. But you should be the best teller and teacher of the gospel that you can be. I might not have the gift of encouragement, but I still need to strive to be the best encourager I can be. So whether you stand up front or not, you have opportunities. You have responsibilities. Not In the home, in the community, in your workplace, in the church, to be a teller and teacher of the gospel. And that is the means by which we grow as a community. And by God's grace, you can do that. You really can. If you have understood the grace of God and truth, then you can tell others about that grace that you have received. So we'll wrap up here. I trust you want to be a community of godly people who are growing in their faith in Christ and their love for one another. Not just the outward actions, not just looking more godly, but actually having the substance true love, and genuine faith in Christ. How does that happen? It's not by just willing ourselves to love others more. It's not by trying to persuade ourselves that we have more faith than we actually do. Rather, we see here in Colossians 1 that true godliness is produced in us because of the hope laid up for us in the gospel. Therefore, we need to be a culture of people who are always hearing and understanding the gospel, and a culture of people who are always telling and teaching the gospel to one another and to those outside in the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have saved us, you have reconciled us to yourself, that you have put someone in our life that told us, the good news of the gospel, so that we might hear and be saved. Lord, would you give us a genuine love for one another? Would you grow- give us a growing faith in Christ as our Lord? And would you help us uh, to be faithful in telling and teaching the life-giving news of the gospel to others? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.